0: But I think it's notable that a lot of people that I'm seeing, they're not leaving the industry. And that is really interesting to me personally, in terms of being like a leading indicator of, of where this industry is probably going to go.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. I'm your host, Carson Humiston, the founder of Vangst, and today we're doing something a little bit different. Today, we have two amazing investors in the space that are joining us, and we are going to have a conversation about what is going on in the cannabis investment world. So far this year, there's only been 41 cannabis-related companies globally that have raised venture capital. So at the current pace, this year is on track to be the lowest total amount of deals and total amount of funding since 2017. So far this year, the cannabis businesses have raised about $300 million in venture capital compared to $1.6 billion in 2021, so obviously a dramatic drop. And a lot of people want to hear directly from investors around, what's going on. So it's going to be a a very pointed conversation. We have two of the best investors on the space with us. So let's turn it to you. I, I would love for each of you to introduce yourselves and a little bit about your funds before we kick off this conversation.
2: Emily, why don't we start with you? Hi everyone, and thank you so much, Carson, for including us in this discussion. I think actually Ian and i i think are two our our groups are two very active investors in the space who have been deploying capital so it's it should be a really interesting discussion but you know co founder managing partner of Poseidon Poseidon has three private funds and an ETF and seven direct syndicate vehicles that we run alongside of the funds. You know, We range in our investment stages from our most recent strategy is focused on a post-seed stage. So we are playing in the earlier kind of spectrum of the venture capital world. And then we are participants in the public markets, obviously, through some of our other vehicles. So we really like having that continuum of exposure because it does help us to understand what's going on in the companies that are, quote unquote, more mature, even though this industry has a long long way to go all the way through to the companies that are really just starting and taking for the first time capital that 's not just friends and family or angel capital so it's pretty exciting
0: <laughs> uh, yeah i'm Ian Dominguez i'm the founder and portfolio manager of Delta Emerald Ventures. We are most different from Poseidon in that uh, we don't actively trade public investments we do have a investment that is public but I guess, historically invested in private companies, and we'll do that for the foreseeable future. And uh, another area that we spend a lot of time thinking about is on the data and technology side of things. I think Poseidon and and Delta Emerald have a number of technology investments in the space, and this is definitely an area that we spend a lot of time thinking about.
1: And and this podcast is especially fun for me as a founder, because usually... Investors are asking me questions, so this is a chance for me to ask in, investors questions. So I, I've been really looking forward to this episode. Why don't we start off with just giving you know your perspective on right why the dramatic drop in funding into the cannabis space in 2022? Right, new states seemingly are opening up, more people than ever are consuming cannabis. There's there's a lot of good happening. Like, why are investors? materially slowing down, deploying money into this space?
2: You know, cannabis has been, it's, it's an, an emerging mar- market cycle, right? And so you're going to see gyrations in terms of how the ebbs and flows of capital really work here. Last year was crazy. I mean, we had like the meme stock thing. There was a record number of IPOs that, that happened in the last 24 months. And then this year, we've seen the lowest number of IPOs I'm talking very broadly speaking, not cannabis, just broadly speaking on a macroeconomic level, um, the lowest number of IPOs since 2008, I believe, we're were down past that at this point. So you can see all of those indicators are moving to kind of more of a risk off thing. The other thing I would say is that cannabis has often been coupled with the crypto industry. And crypto was running incredibly hot for quite a long time while cannabis was kind of busy building businesses and focusing on fundamentals. Crypto was running hot on kind of like cocktails and dreams, I would say. But that there has recently been a reckoning. And I do think there's a little bit of a Venn diagram that overlaps in folks who have had. I know some of our colleagues who are investors have had exposure on that side and have felt quite a bit of pain. And so, you know, just seeing some of the things that have occurred there, I think, directionally, there's a lot of pointing to kind of like, let's go a little bit more risk off. There's a lot of pain and also in the public markets on on the broader level on some of these tech companies that we've seen draw down 70, 75%. So there's pain out there. And, you know, as we're watching tomorrow is another update from the Fed about what's going to happen next. And I know people are kind of, you could see how the markets were moving today. And, and that's all very high level, right? But I do think it trickles down. And I was just at the Code Conference two weeks ago, which was I've been there twice now, and it's really tremendous because I get to meet with other venture capitalists who are in just like the broader tech sector. I get to hear how they're thinking about things. I get to hear from founders from tremendous companies and hear the things that they went through. Like, I'll never forget seeing a founder, Stu Butterfield from Slack, talking about how he, you know, almost missed payroll a couple times. Like, those are really valuable stories when you're trying to keep a bigger perspective as an investor and uh, across the board when I was um, in the in the socializing sessions around code i was hearing from the traditional tech vcs that they've largely been kind of holding steady and i hear the same thing from the hedge fund community just kind of holding off on deploying capital they're definitely raising capital so in many senses they're loading the guns to go when it's time but i think there was a little bit of let's take the summer to work with our portfolio companies, make sure the portfolio companies are stabilized to the extent that they can, or maybe top them up a little bit, and then we'll start really leaning in again in the fall. So that was, that was a pretty large consensus. So I don't think cannabis exists in a vacuum. I think it's it, a more acute experience here because we've never been experiencing a massive flow of capital. I mean, ne- not never, but rarely have we seen a massive flow of capital into this industry. So I think we feel it very acutely in this sector when it happens.
0: Yeah. I I think the only thing I would add there is that the same kind of torrid pace that we saw outside of the cannabis industry, not sure that we ever got that crazy in cannabis. I think (laughs) to your your point, Emily, it hits different when it's not like the faucets were ever completely turned on in the first place. And and for reasons we all know and understand very well, that's the reality in cannabis and has been and will continue to, to be. In the near term, at least. So, that aspect I think is consistent with what we've seen outside of cannabis. I would echo the slowdown that happened in the summer. I know that that happened outside of cannabis as well. People, if you think about it from the side of the investors as well, it's been really two years plus of some pretty torrid deal making. And so, I think a lot of people just kind of took the summer to kind of get their bearings. I do think we're going to see more deals happen in this fall, now I'm speaking specifically in cannabis, and there's probably going to be a bit of a bifurcation between companies that are in a position to move a little bit more aggressively, potentially see some deals made between companies. That's one potential path. And then the other is that there's a lot of companies that are going to need capital, and some of them will be able to raise money, and some of them won't be able to raise money. And that's just the reality of an industry as early as we are in cannabis.
1: So for your companies that are out there, what are you advising them to do in this moment?
0: Yeah, get profitable and gain runway. If, if you don't have a clear line of sight to profitability, give yourself more time uh, at a minimum. And thing else that I think is is it's high time that we do this in, in cannabis and it's, it's happening now is I think a, a bit of humility when it comes to what. In any one company can or cannot accomplish on their own, and I won't run through a list, but I think it wouldn't be that difficult to pick out some examples where some companies perhaps got a little bit out over their skis, and I think we all have to have you know a reckoning and, and some some uh, honesty with ourselves about what what can we actually accomplish with what we have. And other than that, it's looking to partnerships or to not duplicate workflows that are happening across this industry. Those are some some ways I, I see this industry pushing forward.
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have a little bit of a bear inside me at all times. And maybe it's because I'm from Buffalo and so we're, I'm still losing Super Bowls or something.
1: Well, not, not yesterday. Not yet.
2: That was the game, but we'll save that for another time. But I've always been the person saying, look, we have to be very careful because we don't know where the next sources of capital are going to come from. I mean, we've been doing this since 2014. I it has been a tricky landscape to navigate. And it has been interesting to see where the you know, the light of capital has been, which companies get shined upon the most in that aspect. And so kind of, I have a lot of empathy for founders who have been trying to navigate this stage, especially for founders who've gotten some of the VCs that have been very focused on kind of growth at all costs. As Ian pointed out very astutely, like a focus on a path to profitability and really prudence around use of resources. And I think that makes for a very sharp execution around a business. But I think, you know, some founders got some folks involved in the organization and got into that mode and mindset. And then for them, all of a sudden, in about May or June, I think the brakes were slammed on and then came the mantra, you have to have 24, 36 months of runway or path to profitability or, you know, and it's, it's just a whipsaw for a founder who's trying to answer to a few different masters and grow a business. And so, you know, I have a lot of empathy around that. So I try to take a really kind of like a fine instrument to each company and work alongside the founders to try to help them to calibrate their business the best that they can. Because you never know, sometimes, like, I think you have very active, engaged investor base. And so some founders have the ability to turn around and say, hey, guys, we're refining our strategy. It would also be great if we could do... A bridge round of financing just to make sure that we're in a good position, and many investors who have the the capital would happily lean in on that and try to bolster the business so that they don't have to worry about going out for a big strategic raise when sentiment is is quite down. So it, it's just something I've been trying to be really thoughtful about. And because you can read a million different resources and, and you can just paint everything with a big brush of what needs to happen. But I'm a firm believer that each business deserves specific attention about how it should navigate these times.
1: Yes, you, you two are very unique in the sense of that. I think from my perspective and working with you, you take a look at the individual business and help get that business on the right path. But I mean, the amount of Investors that sent me the Sequoia and YC article. Like my biggest complaint about VCs as a founder is that like there's not a lot of original thought. And so suddenly everyone woke up one day and said, everyone needs 24 months of runway. When in the beginning of the year, the first board meeting of the year, everyone signed off on this growth plan where you burn all your cash over the next 18 months. And you know, it puts founders in a hard place. If the executive team and the board agree on we're going to execute this strategy. And then six months in, we say, now we need 24 months. I mean, that that is a massive, massive change to the business. And I think that more investors should be like you and Ian, where you get in the weeds with founders and help them figure out how to actually execute that plan. Because going from raising in six months to having 24 months of runway, is like a 360. So what are ways that you know, you guys actually are getting in the weeds with founders and helping them dramatically change their business strategy from raising in six months to getting to 24 months of runway, because it's like basically executing a a, a different business plan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think across the board, return on investment is becoming more important. And that's not just coming from the perspective of an investor. I'm saying, talking about weed operators in this space, if you're a dispensary, if you're a, a grower, you have your own investors to answer to and your own profitability that you're trying to hit. And the shockwave through the system is really more about thinking really deliberately about what spend, what are you spending money on and how is it driving your own profitability? And that's through the entire supply chain across every company. People are thinking about that, right? So this is where we're going to find out what actually is worth spending money on and i think we're starting to see signs of that both at the retail level and at the at the grow i don't have as strong of a view on how the processing and manufacturing is kind of thinking about it but i have to guess it's similar and so i, I think being able to provide that pitch and data that can actually back up to your customers or prospective customers that If you spend this amount of money, this is what's gonna happen. That's what people are looking for. Also just helping the customers get to the other side of it. A lot of customers are going to go under it. There are 3000 brands in California cannabis today based on our math. And let's say I'm off by a factor of two. Still, it would be very difficult to say that I can consistently pick the best ones today just by sheer numbers. And I think that's filtering through the entire industry right now. Just that was picking out one particular region. But I think I'm not blowing anyone's hair back by by calling out that there are a lot of brands in California.
2: <laughs> My hair is blown back, Ian. Um, you know, the way that, the ways that I've done this is I've actually just sat down with the founder and have gone through... And, you know, I know, Vangst, you know, you're all about talent and, and sourcing talent and distributing and sometimes redistributing talent through the industry as we see these changes occur. But I, one of the things I noticed with the founders who really embrace this head on, and I'm speaking more of the later stage founders than the earlier stage. Earlier stage folks have got their hands in everything is necessarily until they start building their teams around them. But a lot of these later stage founders, I feel like, had built the teams around them. And what this presents was an opportunity for them to get their hands back into the depth of the business to which they used to back in the seed stage rounds. And I feel like it was everything from the sales process to the product development. And and I think that while we don't want founders to get stretched too thin... I do think that there's a, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit that drives a founder. I think I've noticed an invigorating quality to that of getting back into those modes of like, I'm always selling, I'm always understanding what's going on in the product, rather than like relying on the layers of organization I've developed underneath. Now we'll get back to that. But I think about the Ben Horowitz book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. It's like there's wartime CEOs and there's peacetime. And I think we're not necessarily in a full war. Maybe we are. Maybe I'm just tired and I can't even tell the war from the piece anymore. But I think that the founders who roll up their sleeves and dig in, and, and I feel like it's my job as a partner to sit there alongside them and not not dictate things, but to be a sounding board and to share what I see from, of course, without disclosing private information, but sharing general feedback of what I've seen going on in other businesses so that I can try to be helpful in that manner. So those are some things that we've done. And, and I've been impressed by the founders and the fortitude because we've gone through this a few times in cannabis. So at some point we're going to hit the velocity moment for real. Like there, there were massive moments where, you know, capital flowed into the space, especially following the Constellation investment in can be growth corp and and things like that but i think those were very early market moments but i think what comes next is a very sustained tailwind that we should see we are always looking at catalysts around the policy side but i think it's actually going to substantially come from private industry so i'm pretty bullish on
0: that and and you know like talent movement is bullish in the sense that people vote with their, especially people that are in this industry, they know more than most people about the industry. And we have to be, I think, just acknowledging that this is going to be a a difficult time for a number of cannabis companies. The good news is people don't necessarily go down with ships. They're able to move. That is another way that the market is trying to better understand what companies are gonna be in this for the long haul. And it means a lot to us when we see a particular leader at one company moving to another company. And I think you're seeing a lot of that happening right mm-hmm. now. That is maybe an obvious statement when you have things like layoffs, of course people are gonna be looking for new jobs. But I think it's notable that a lot of, at least anecdotally, the people that I'm seeing, they're not leaving the industry. They're making choices, now they have better information. Okay, that, that, that was one experience, where am I going next? And that is really interesting to me personally, in terms of being like a leading indicator of, of where this industry is probably going to go.
1: I really liked both the points you made, Emily. The one that I thought was really interesting from a founder's perspective is that, you know, for a period of time when there was seemingly more cash available, a lot of guidance from VCs was build out an executive team around you. And so myself included, and a lot of my peers, we we probably overhired for where we were at the stage of the business. And at the time, that felt like the right decision. And now when you don't have unlimited resources and you say, okay, what are the roles that are like without this role, we cannot grow. When you ask yourself that question, I think it was, you know, you were one of our other investors. One tip they gave me was before you, like when you look at every single position, ask yourself, is this what's holding us back from growth? And when you look at it at that lens, like, uh, you know, I think that a lot of founders found that they had a lot of excess and they had a lot, maybe had overhired. And there was things that there was you know, multiple people doing multiple things. So I do think that a lot of founders that I've talked to, myself included, this has given us a chance to really look at our business and figure out, to Ian's point, what are we spending money on and what kind of a return are we getting on it? And having that discipline, I'm optimistic that we'll get all of the businesses that are going to survive long-term in a place where at the end of this, when funding does become available, then we're spending money on true growth, right? The economics of the business are solid. We can pour fuel on the fire and go out and really grow and be as lean and mean and have the strongest unit economics as possible. So, you know, the optimist in me is that everyone's going to come out of this with like lean, mean, ready to go, businesses. So that, that I hope a positive for people listening. And that leads me to my next question around you guys both just said in the beginning of the podcast, and we've seen that you are deploying money in the space. How are you deciding what companies to deploy in, in a market where, you know, frankly, you can be much pickier. I'm sure that companies aren't getting 10 term sheets at, you know, maybe what used to previously felt like, ridiculous valuations. And so when you can really choose what companies and teams you want to back, how are you guys making those decisions now?
0: I mean, not, not much has changed for us in the sense that, that we really look for founders that really understand their customers well and are able to explain very clearly how those customers are getting value. And, and you know even better if you've got a plan of how you're going to find more and more customers to satisfy them in more and more ways. But I, I do think that we are entering, again, we're entering a period where there's like a rethinking about a lot of the spin that was taking place in cannabis. There's still, I think, a lot of, of room to get more efficient. And I, I would just take a moment here to say that to the extent that prices continue to compress at wholesale and retail, I am of the opinion that that's a good thing. That's good for the end consumer. I want more access, more affordability in more places across the country. And so I'm not bothered by that. I think it's going to lead to more unit growth. Now it's going to make it more difficult for the average operator to survive in that type of environment. But that's kind of where learning to use tools or hiring people that are good at improving process, that's the way that we're going to separate real executors versus people that that have been let 's say uh, enjoying relatively high prices in certain markets for an extended period of time
2: yeah, I mean we 've been similar we 've been pretty focused on the same traits and and you know when, where we 're investing on the post seed stage, which is such a cool stage to be back at it you know we have a bit of a longer timeline to work with this stuff and and investing is all about you know time entry point teams, all of these things come into play, but we're being very careful in selecting the teams that we think are being really thoughtful about their capital allocation and are thinking about what comes next too in terms of being able to ultimately attract more capital to the business because this is venture. And so it, it is necessary, generally speaking, that a, a company at that stage will be looking to do another round of financing before you see an exit. Although M&A may heat up we, well, and, and has heated up, but hasn't, I mean, the way I think about MA is there's like distressed m and then there's also a creative MA where it, the sum of the parts is greater than the two things coming together. So it's just an interesting time. But yeah, we've just been really leaning in on on that. But I, I have enjoyed recently seeing some companies that had pitched us and had that prior kind of strategy in place, clearly had not succeeded in raising the round, came back around. And what I was impressed by was some of these teams is that they got very clear on their businesses, very clear on how they were going to get to improving their mar- their operational margins and how they were going to contemplate expansion without just burning, burning, burning. And you could see they'd done real work on it by digging in on data and and having it supported there. And how they'd actually made subsequent decisions based on data, not just based on, oh, this feels like the right thing to do in the business, which business is about intuition. But I like to think it's intuition. And then you can use data to try to bolster that and show that you're directionally on the right path. So so those are some of the things that I, I'm thinking about. But it is kind of nice to be looking at this earlier stage during this time. Like growth stage, I think, is is challenging. And we've got companies in that stage. And like I said, back in May, June, it was a lot of work with them to make sure they were good to go for a period of time.
1: One of the cool things for me as a founder about working with a lot of cannabis investors is that they're also founders, mm-hmm. right? You, In, in a sense, you, you both started your own funds, raised funds, managed teams, and your founders just as much as I am. So there's a difference between founders and and funders. So from you guys' perspective as founders, what are the conversations with your LPs like at this time and how have they changed over the last 12 months?
2: (laughs) Uh, we are a firm that believes in transparency and communication. So we send out, depending on the fund, we have different uh, cadence of reporting, but it's at least quarterly. And if there's an event, we send out a special update. We're actually hosting a full-blown investor day in New York in October, where we're going to take folks around to see the dispensaries in New Jersey from some of the operators that we work with, and then have founders do a panel panel discussions regarding their different areas. And, you know, I just think it, with there's no hiding from the fact that cannabis has gotten beaten up from a, the market standpoint. And so I, the way we feel about it is let's, make sure we communicate with them. You know, we're very clear about what we think are the challenges and what we think are the opportunities. And I think it's the only way you can be an investor with, uh, you know, the fiduciary duty that you have, but also honestly, to be able to sleep at night, it's an immense responsibility to manage investments and to be responsible for that. And every single thing that doesn't go perfectly is definitely, it feels like an immense blow, but You know, the important thing I'm trying to help our investors to understand is that actually... These companies have a lot of really good things going for them because they do. Especially when I like zoom out as we've been talking about and look at some of these companies outside of the industry. I mean, I think about some of the companies that were meant to go IPO last year that didn't have profitability even in the business plan. People were like, what are profits? Yeah, no, it was not a thing. The metrics have changed. And so, but in cannabis, we've been living in a very capital constrained environment, relatively speaking. And so when I look at these businesses, I actually see a lot of really good things and i think ian just made some excellent points too like the normalization around pricing in this industry ha- bringing it down focusing on units we need to be focusing on products more than you know milligrams of thc as an industry and we're going to get there it's just something we have to go through as maturation exists and so that's my whole point of view is just to make sure that, you know, our investors have visibility to see what the actual businesses are doing, not just what the headlines around the cannabis quote unquote industry or market are saying. And so that's what I view my responsibility as.
1: And I also think it's like such a long game. I mean, I think about last the last two years where I would see companies in and outside of the cannabis industry, raising a hundred times more capital than banks and having like, the best headlines ever, and you start to think to yourself, wow, this company is a hundred times better than our company. And when you unpeel the onion, that, that that might not be the reality. At the end of the day, business is business, and we're all out here to build businesses, to generate revenue and returns for our investors. And so I think it's a long game. And I think a lot of companies in and outside of cannabis that had really great headlines Over the last two years, the the game's not over yet, and there's a lot of companies that stayed lean and mean, companies in both of your portfolios that have great businesses and a lot of great things going for them that could ultimately be some of the most successful and best outcomes in in this space. And so I think everyone's kind of coming back down to earth right now, and the best companies are going to win in the long term.
0: Yeah, I think one lesson here is to, to choose your round size wisely. There are deals that have gotten done recently, and I think you'll see more get done in in this fall and probably into the new year. And smaller rounds, you know, they have a way of creating constraints and a higher degree of focus. Smaller rounds can or tend to move faster. And I think it can be difficult to, to handle all the expectations and stuff that comes with a large round. I think this is a a cleansing and beneficial moment for this Mm -hmm. this whole industry. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, good. Well, we're we're running out of time here, but I think we're ending on a very positive note, right? Even though it feels painful, the, the three of us were at Benzinga last week and there was a lot of companies out there really struggling to raise, but the best companies will figure out a way to make it forward. They'll clean up their core business. They'll figure out how to better service their customers and ultimately the best companies will rise to the top. So I, I, I'm feeling inspired after this podcast. Do you, do you have any closing remarks that you'd like to leave our audience with?
0: There, there's one thing I, I'd like to say, and it's, it's not even my idea, but I like it so much that I'm going to use it here. And someone pointed out to me that Benzinga was a bit surprising in that the sentiment felt more positive than what this person thought going in. And I think it's important for us to remember that the channels that people use to get information i.e linkedin in the case of the cannabis industry we all i think at this point are aware of some of the drawbacks that social media can have on communities including the the tendency for you know let's say the algorithm to favor negative news and no question cannabis is going through going through it right now It's, it's a difficult time for operators but there are very positive aspects to what's going on right now and i don't want especially founders that are feel emotionally challenged and feel like there's no way out be willing to raise your hand and get some help about it because it's it's a, i think it's a really important thing to remember that none of us are alone in this and it's difficult but you know it, there there are paths forward
1: i love that and i think that's a perfect way to end so thank yeah. you both for joining us we'll have to do an ep- we'll have to do an episode in 1 year from now <laughs> september 2023 to see where we've landed but thank you so much for joining and excited to continue working with both of you
0: thank you thanks for,
1: thanks for listening to today's show